I go about doing it, the pieces that I, that I found, where I found it, where I decided to even put it in the space, that's all part of telling the story. And then once I'm 100% done with the project and I have everything where I need it to be, it's almost like that final paragraph. And then I realized that I had to be able to tell that same story in the photos. And once I started to do that and understand that and get comfortable in that process, that's when I started to get much bigger press. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have the one and only Beth Diana Smith, an interior design king that side hustled for years before venturing out on her own. From a young age, Beth possessed a natural ability for creating functionality, efficiency, and organization. So she pursued degrees in business and accounting to satiate that love of processes and business strategy. After completing her MBA, She spent more than a decade in corporate finance in companies such as Johnson & Johnson and Viacom, honing those skills in understanding clients, analytics, budgeting, and a keen attention to detail. During her years in corporate finance, Beth was also a homeowner, and it was during that time that she discovered an appreciation of color, pattern, and texture, a love for beautiful things and problem-solving, and a passion for interior design. Beth decided to pursue her passion, launch her interior design company, and began attending the New York School of Interior Design. Today, Beth, her work, and her design advice have been featured on TV and in various print and online publications, including NBC, HGTV, Vogue.com, Ebony, Design Sponge, and the New York Times. I'm excited for you to hear Beth's journey, so let's get right into it. Welcome to the guest chair, Beth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am excited to have you here. So, I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. So tell us a little bit more about your background. You know, when did you initially become interested in design? It was kind of random. I never considered myself a creative at all. Um, I'm like one of those people who you would think like suffers from like OCD and it's like super sometimes robotic in, in my actions and how I manage things. And then when I finally, you know, started to make enough money to like do where I felt like, you know what, I can do something with like my own house. Somehow I kind of got sucked into that world and I was like doing research and shopping for things. I kind of just fell in love with interior design super organically. So what was your original career path after undergrad and all of that? Oh my God. I was a finance and accounting girl. Um, I initially went to Seton Hall here in Jersey. Um, I got a bachelor's in business. I got my MBA in accounting. And during my last year or two in college, I went and worked for corporate America. And that is what I was literally doing for almost, oh God, almost 15 years. Did you enjoy finance? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of years. <laughs> I will, I will say this. I enjoyed finance more, much more than I enjoyed accounting. And I liked 
the strategy of it. I like trying to figure things out. I liked reconciling things. It was definitely the OCD in me that loved finance. Um, I, I, I'll say now that I've learned that I'm glad that that was my beginning because it helps me manage my business much better. But I definitely realized probably when I was closer to 30, because in a couple months I will be, um, I'll be 20 plus 18 in April. <laughs> and I realized like I cannot retire doing this. Amen. I cannot retire yeah. being a finance girl. And all the time that you were working, were you nurturing your creative interests somehow or? Um, I started taking on clients. And then once I decided to go back to school um, for interior design, I was still in corporate. And I literally did that nights and weekends. I had no life for probably about four years. Whoa. Yeah, I was, you want to talk about tired, exhausted, and cranky, like all the time. That was pretty much me for about four years. Okay, so I want to go back to you taking on clients. So talk to us a little bit more about that now. How did you start to attract attention or reach out to clients and what kind of work were you doing for them? Oh my God. I was, when you want to, I feel like I was just so dumb when I started out. Um, I'm the type of person that goes from like zero to a million, like really, 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 really fast. So I said, Oh, I'm going to launch a business. Oh, I'm going to name it this. Oh, I need a logo. Oh, let me throw together a website. Oh, my friend is an event planner. I'm going to have a launch party. And that's literally just what I did. <laughs> you saw like so many people. You, yes, that is like what we see on Instagram. It's like launch party. I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening over there? <laughs> and when I tell you I just made it, I was, I'm so extra. And I've learned not to be so extra now that I have, don't have that corporate paycheck. But I was, I took my corporate money I went and, you know, rented out a venue and my girlfriend made it all fancy for me and so extra. So <laughs> I, I made this. <laughs> so what happened next? Did you get clients from that? I got like a couple of clients from it because like a friend would tell a friend would tell a friend. And I remember, oh, Jesus, it was like my first project. And it was, the she was so sweet. Her name was Lauren. She didn't live too far from me, maybe not even five to 10 minutes. She just wanted her living room done. And she wanted something that was like, a, like an Indian theme, which I absolutely love. And she wanted to keep some of her furniture. She wanted to change the art. She wanted to change a couple of other pieces. And I charged this girl like, Oh my, I want to say I had to charge this girl like $350. And when I was back at it, I'm like, clearly I didn't know anything about pricing and I had no respect for my time. Because we're talking about, we must have worked on this project for like a year. What? Yeah. So we're talking about, we stretching out $350 (laughs) over 12 months over her budget, constant trips back and forth to her house, me sending her samples, me making installs, me DIYing things, me making miracles out of like fancy gift wrap. Lord, it was just like, you just don't know any better. better. And I jumped in so fast that no one said, stop yourself. There was just no one there to do that. (laughs) But now I've learned some hard lessons. Right. But thank God you were still side hustling and had a paycheck. (laughs) At least I weren't depending on that. Um, Yeah. 
<laughs> but then as you started to grow, as you were working on the side, did you learn more about pricing? How did you figure out, you know, what was worth your time? It became a bit of a mix. Like I remember during school, I took a class that talked about pricing just a little bit. But what they teach you in school, and I feel like this is regardless of interior design, I feel like this is all majors. What you teach in school, what they teach you in school is not the same as what you learn in the real world. Like you learn the application in the real world. And sometimes like if someone's not giving you a specific problem to solve, you're just kind of guessing. So after a while, I just kind of learned through experience. I definitely learned hard stretching that 350 over 12 months. It could even been more than 12 months. We just so I don't feel as dumb. We just want to call it 12 months. And then just talking to other interior designers, like networking and answering and asking questions was definitely beneficial to me. Okay. So you're still in corporate. You're going to school for four years. This is because it's part-time, right? So you're, you know, in the grind for four years and you're still working with clients that whole time. I think about a year, year and a half in, I didn't take any more clients because I went to classes maybe two nights a week and then usually Saturday and Sunday. So I only would then have, you know, two, (laughs) two or three nights to myself. But when you are in finance, like you work late. So let's say if I was in school Tuesday and Thursday, I'd be at work until anywhere between nine and 11, Monday, Wednesday, Friday to kind of offset everything else I was doing. So eventually I just realized like I'm killing myself to try to hold on to clients. So I didn't take any more clients. I wrapped up whatever I was working on and I just focused on school and my corporate job. Now, once you graduated, what were some of your first steps to start to go from idea to actual business? It was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I left corporate May of 2014, and then I decided I'm just going to spend fall semester and be a full-time student and finish off my remaining, God, maybe like my remaining five or six classes. And then while I was doing that, I was trying to set up, like, I really relaunched my website. I need to figure out how to get clients. And luckily for me, there's this I feel like she's like one of the black OG interior designers. I still have to thank her for this, Sheila Bridges. And she had someone who reached out to her who was based in New Jersey who was looking for an interior designer. His project's budget was much less than what she's used to dealing with. So she referred him to me. And that was literally like my first client once I was done with school. And since then, it was just all about networking. And I tried like a mix of things. Like I tried using things like Thumbtack. I was on house, but what I've noticed, like all my clients literally come from referrals. It's a client referring another client or a friend referring someone to my website and press has been great. So that definitely makes it easier. How do you build up this referral base? You know, because this is this is something that you were transitioning into for Sheila Bridges to even know about you. Was this through conferences? Are there organizations that aspiring interior designers should know about? It was literally my network. So there is an organization called the Black Interior Designers Network, and it was founded by this amazing woman called Kimberly Ward. And while I was still in corporate, this was back in 2011, I went to this conference hosted by kind of like a large company called Kravit. 
And it was like a bloggers conference. And at one point I did have a blog as well. Then I realized blogging ain't my thing. That's just too much <laughs> to manage. So kudos to all the bloggers out there. And I met I met Kimberly. And within like a month or so, we had definitely became pretty good friends. Like the conference was the beginning of May. The end of May, my mother had passed away and she was very like supportive. So we kind of just blossomed into this friendship. Now, fast forward a few years, um, Sheila was then looking for some black interior designers for a potential show. And Kim referred me to Sheila. So when I met Sheila, probably within a couple of weeks of me leaving corporate, by the time the end of the year came, you know, we kind of had a, a rapport. So she said, oh, you're in Jersey. Maybe you'll be interested in this. I know you're just like, you know, getting your feet really all the way in. So this is a really tough and established market and you are, you know, really relying on your personal network. Oh, heavily. <laughs> <laughs> Relationships are definitely everything. It can definitely get you in that front door. So I've tried to maintain all my relationships and I've all, I'm always like trying to network, trying to meet new people because a relationship can get you somewhere where money and a lot of other things cannot. Got it. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the pricing piece, because for people who work in a business with clients where the client has to make additional purchases, I think pricing gets a, a little bit more tricky, right? So is there something that you can share with the audience and those who have a similar model as far as how you break it down as far as percentages or time of how to you know, structure these packages? What's funny is I've not met another designer who does it the same way. Like everyone does it relatively differently. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because either you can do a flat fee, you can do hourly and you can do a percentage of their budget or you can do a mix of all of that. And that's just for the that's just for the actual design fee. And then once you start to include merchandise that's additional profit into your business because your client cannot get the same pricing that you can. So as a, like a super rough example, if there's a chair that retails for a thousand dollars, but I can get it for you for, let's say like 500, I may just, you know, sell it back to you for seven fifty. or depending on the project, there's been times where I didn't make a profit specifically on an item it really, you, you're kind of looking at the entire mixed bag of everything you have going on with that client. If I feel like you need that chair because it will be the perfect piece and we are tight on budget, sometimes I'm just like, I'll just sell it to you at, at cost because I feel like it would just be perfect for your space. And that just kind of means more than the money, which may sound crazy coming from someone <laughs> who was in finance and accounting. Um, but it's just the creative part. You want to leave your client with the best possible outcome. Speaking of, you know, those clients now, it sounds like Sheila, who you mentioned earlier, might be onto something here. But one of the tricky parts of client work is you never really know until you're in it whether or not you have a nightmare client. Oh Are there my ways God. that you... <laughs> Have you started to identify red flags or things that you can do to spotlight or to identify who's going to be someone you don't want to work with? Yes. <laughs> After every, I've, oh God, yeah. 
sometimes you just have to go off your gut during that first meeting. You'll know if someone is going to have a nasty attitude. You'll know if someone is not going to value the work. You, you're going to know if someone watches a lot of HDTV and that and they think that's what interior design is. You just kind of go with that gut feeling. And there are times where I'm just like, I don't think this will be a good fit. There are other times where my gut failed me and I missed the red flags and I got put in a situation that I just wanted to like poke myself like, girl, do better next time. Um, and after every project, I literally... <laughs> consolidate what I've learned and I'll just update my contract uh, accordingly. So there are some interesting pieces in my contract now that probably didn't exist before. Oh, really? Can you share or is it just too? Um, <laughs> I will say the, the funniest piece that I had to add in last year was um, kind of like a behavior clause. Like if I'm working with a client and they are harassing myself or the contractor, I can just terminate your contract. And I, I, I say that because I was working with someone last year, the, <laughs> you know, I brought in the contractor. He was like this six, four guy who worked out like all the time, you know, very attractive, dark skinned black man. And she made the contractor feel very uncomfortable. Oh, no. So when I have, yeah. So when I have like a six four black man being like, <laughs> yo, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Tell her to stop touching me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm four ten and three quarters. So for a man who's six four to be like, tell this woman, she makes me feel very uncomfortable. This was never a situation that I ever considered yeah. I would ever be in. And I'm like, you think you have everything figured out, but then you get thrown in a situation that you would have never expected. Wow, that is... <laughs> <laughs> Those contracts are everything. Those contracts oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, wow. So at what stage did you start to reap profit and rewards from your business? And, and what were the first things you invested back into the business? Um, I will say that I'm kind of, it, I'm kind of cheap when it comes to certain things. Like there are certain things I'm like, no, I'll do it myself. And there are other things that I learned that I cannot do it myself. I definitely invest in photography. That's important. I started off in the beginning thinking that I'll just buy this professional camera and then I'll just take it myself. And I realized, oh, like to photograph things, you need actual photography skills. You need to learn how to like use this fancy camera and something I've pretty much ignored. Um, I invest in my website heavily. Um, and I work with this amazing woman run team in Montclair heavily. I would say definitely on everything that has an aesthetic to it and that has my brand to it. Like I very cognizant of how my brand looks and is presented. So everything from my business cards, my website, you know, I have like these bags with my logo on it. Like anything that show any way that my brand is going to get presented to the world is what I'll spend my money on. And were you profitable from early on or was it like an uphill battle? It was definitely an uphill battle. Um, I probably spent that first year kind of solidifying. I would say first year post um, being done with school, solidifying how I wanted to do my pricing. And even then, it still kind of evolved the same way the contract evolves, like you learn some <laughs> lessons. And it becomes difficult because it's not like it's like this one fixed thing. And once I realized that all these designers do it different, I just had to figure out what worked best for me. 
I've definitely had a lot of growth. Like when I looked at my income statement for 2017, I had tripled the income of my business from 2016. And that was just like, I feel like I just was getting a lot more press. My name was getting out there. I was doing a lot more networking. And once I literally became full-time in my business, I felt like that's when everything really took off because it's hard. I'm sure, girl, I know, you know, like doing it as a side hustle, you are being pulled in so many directions. It's kind of when you kind of put forth all your focus, you are trying to perfect your craft and just becoming a lot more comfortable in talking about money. I definitely struggled with that in the beginning like, Talking to a company is different than talking to a person because with a company, you assume like, oh, you got dollars. Like, I'm not concerned. (laughs) But when you're talking to another person, for some reason, I was more concerned about their bank account and how they would afford it than me thinking to myself like, hey, like you got a mortgage to to pay. Like, what are you doing? So it took a while for me to get comfortable. But because I have a very aggressive personality overall. Like once I understood that I just had to draw the line in the sand, things got much easier. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear and it's called Skillshare. You wanna know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. As side hustlers, we're in the business of turning our ideas into value. The thing is, we need time to cultivate fresh ideas, which is exactly where our sponsor FreshBooks can help. FreshBooks makes cloud accounting software for creative professionals that's so straightforward to use. You'll save hours every week and have more time to let your creativity flourish. If that's not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They've taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. I can't cover them all, but sending a branded invoice in under 30 seconds and enabling online payments in two clicks is a good place to start. There's also a new projects feature where you can invite employees or contractors to collaborate and easily share information, files, and updates. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now would be the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all my listeners. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section. You mentioned companies. So how do you go about structuring your clientele nowadays? So are you working with companies? You're working with individuals? How do you balance that and, and determine like what your client bandwidth is? 
It's a mix. I do residential. I do commercial. Um, normally with commercial, you're working with an organization or a company. I'm working with a couple of non nonprofits now. It really depends on what the project is. And if it's something that I feel like I would love to do, I'm really interested in doing, or something I haven't had the opportunity to do before, then I'm pretty much all in. Okay. Now, you also mentioned some of the media and press opportunities that came about. How did you start to really build brand awareness? So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, word of mouth and all of this. But I know you mentioned the website and paying for that. There's some tactical steps that you took knowing you wanted to elevate your brand. So walk us through that thought process. It really came from the relationships I built. I think the first bit of press came from someone finding me on Kimberly's blog. Um, the, the, the founder again of the black interior designer network, she had blogged about me from, I think that first bloggers conference. And then, you know, if she needed something done, sometimes I would just, you know, give her a quick blurb. And because she was building this network and people seeing my name, they'd reach out, especially if they were local to the tri-state area. So that's how I first got Ebony for the first time. Even with when I first started professionally taking photos, and I'm talking about from a real interiors photographer, he had his own network. So then he pitched it to bigger blogs that he knew. And then it just started to spiral. Then I just had to realize like, for you to get really good press, your photos and the story behind why you did that project has to be really buttoned up tightly. And that was something I definitely didn't know in the beginning. Oh, that's interesting. You know, storytelling is so important in what I do in marketing, but I'd never thought of it in terms of interior design. So what do you mean by that? So for instance, there was a project I did that was pretty local to me in New Jersey. And I always start off a project with after, you know, interviewing the clients and seeing what they need, I always come up with a concept for what the vibe of the space is going to be. And that concept is always based on what the client said or did not say, since I just read between the lines and how they wanted to feel in the space. So that's always the beginning of the story. And then how I go about doing it, the pieces that, that I found, where I found it, where I decided to even put it in the space. That's all part of telling the story. And then once I'm 100% done with the project and I have everything where I need it to be, it's almost like that final paragraph. And then I realized that I had to be able to tell that same story in the photos. And once I started to do that and understand that and get comfortable in that process, that's when I started to get much bigger press. And speaking of press, I did come across the, you know, you had like a tour of your home and I was like, this is what I want. You were like, this is a cultural <laughs> oasis. I was like, yes, I'm going to start describing my apartment like that. <laughs> so I got a couple of, we got a couple of paintings over here. It's a cultural oasis. <laughs> Everyone's definitely stuck on that line. <laughs> like... When I saw that that's even what NBC kind of ran with, too, and I'm like, I should have coined that. Like, it's not so late. (laughs) Got to look it up. So, you know, everything seems pretty straightforward, but I know it probably wasn't. What were some of the things that went wrong along the way? 
Oh, so many things. I'm such a planner and I realize that you can't plan for everything. So if I'm waiting on something to come for a client, knowing that things can come broken or damaged is beyond my control. And that happens all the time. Um, So that always kind of like pushes things back. I definitely use my own home as a, as like a test kit, (laughs) I should say. So my home is definitely, I would say pre 2012, 2013 has gone through a lot of transition. That's when I decided to like, every room got painted. My kitchen got redone. I ripped up the floors on my first floor and I put down like hardwood um, and then everything I ripped up again and then everything, <laughs> everything became hardwood. One of the lessons I learned, like if you're going to redo something a couple years later, it may not still be there. So just make sure you buy a whole lot more than you'll ever need. So lesson learned. I've learned that, you know, you have to work with people who have the same integrity that you do, who care enough about their work as you do, or else it's just going to be a bad mix. Like I have OCD and I want things to be perfect. I need my subcontractors to feel the same way. Like it should all be, it should always be about what's the best end result for the client and not anybody's ego, not anyone else's vision. It's about the total vision. So at the end of the day, we're not going to live there. They have to live there. So having like great working relationships and finding people who have a similar view on their work as you do is incredibly important. What about what's the most interesting thing that has ever happened to you on this journey besides that whole harassment situation? <laughs> <laughs> I would say because I'm such a DIYer, that's just thanks to me growing up with older brothers who were a lot less happy to do things around the house than I was like I got taught things at a young age so I'm the person like I have like my own toolbox like I'll change a light fixture by myself so there are just things that I just I assume I can just get done so when I first decided I was going to renovate my kitchen I thought putting cabinets you know can't be that difficult god ignorance is bliss Um, and that became like a much longer process than it probably should have been ended up having to hire someone to come in because you literally don't know what you don't know. Everything seems simple once you see it all done, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I learned like leave the professionals (laughs) to do their job. There's a reason why they're the expert. Um, I was in a situation a couple of years ago when I was working with a contractor on a big project and something I referred him to for and his behavior was so disgusting for lack of a better word. I learned like I will never refer someone for any opportunity unless I've worked with them closely for an extended period of time or I've seen their work firsthand. So if someone asks me for a referral and I'm not sure, I'll just say, I don't know, or I'll be honest and say, I'll give you their number, but I can't tell you what their actual work is like, what their pricing is like, if it's fair. So now I'm just like the queen of no referrals, unless I'm (laughs) sure. Um, The infamous, you know, harassment of the contractor that will probably go down in history. 
I feel like I've learned so many hard lessons, though. But I've I've definitely learned some great things as well. Like one of my favorite quotes that I go by is, you know, the five people that you you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So I've definitely learned to keep my my closest circle very tight. Like you got to be of quality. You got to be of substance. You have to have some integrity. You have to care about what you're doing, and that really makes things easier, especially when you need to bounce um, an idea off of that you're not sure, especially if you're in a tough situation, you're not sure how to handle it. Now, knowing what you know now, is there any particular pieces of advice that you would give to up and coming interior designers? Learn, learn and learn, like attend seminars, read books, attend classes, network with other interior designers, Definitely attend conferences where other interior designers will be, attend the market shows. If you really want to learn interior design and what that process is, especially not just from the creative aspect, because the creative aspect is a very small portion of running your interior design business. The keyword is business. So I spend probably more time in Excel and QuickBooks than I do on the actual creative because you have to make sure that you're taking care of your client's budget. You have to make sure that you're tracking your expenses. So for them to just learn not only what they need to know from the creative aspect and the technical aspect, but learn how to actually run the business. And speaking of that, have you started building out a team and how big is it if so? I haven't started building out a real team. Um, I started probably a year or so ago, and (laughs) this probably goes back to a lesson learned. Like, have this amazing design assistant. We're still really good friends. I love her to death. Um, But she and her husband, like, decided to have a baby on me. (laughs) (laughs) Even though she's, like, the cutest ever, I'm still, like, why did you have to like be intimate with your husband and get pregnant on me? Like we had goals, like we had a vision, we were doing stuff and it's like a running joke um, between us, but it just goes back to like, you can't plan for, for everything. So I kind of started off there, but to find someone that you can like depend on is hard. And since her before her, it's been hard to find someone who shows up when they're supposed to show up is on time, can communicate with the clients, like has, which is sad, like has really true blue common sense. Sometimes I get these emails from people who are interested, but how can I take you seriously if you're sending me an email that has no punctuation and it's a full paragraph and there's not a period? Because if you're sending that to me and you're interested in working for me, I'm looking at it like if I was your client, and I wanted you to send a communication out to the client, I would be mortified. Mm. So it's hard to, I've noticed it's hard to find someone amazing, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that I'm really particular. So it's probably half my fault. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's it's necessary. No, I I absolutely can relate. Right? Because it's like your baby. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want anybody messing with my baby. Nope. (laughs) So it, it, it's a bit of a a struggle when it comes to that. But when I'm in a bind, I will literally reach out to that same design assistant and I'm begging, like, can you get a babysitter? Or I'll ask a friend who's in a similar industry. 
like um, even not, even if they're not an interior designer, I'll ask an event planner um, in a in a heartbeat because they'll understand at least the aesthetic and how things should look and the flow and can like read the layout of the floor plan I have. But other than that, it's a lot of a lot of me doing things myself. Well, I hope after this episode, you know, some people reach out to you and you get some good uh, candidates. <laughs> Me too, with punctuation. Yes, you guys. <laughs> Spell check. All right. Spell check, yes. <laughs> so now we're going to transition to the lightning round. Um, you basically, I'll ask you some questions and you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Oh my God, podcasts and books. There are some great podcasts that I listen to, yours being one of them. Um, there's How I Built This. I'm definitely a fan of my Leak Teals podcast. And then I'm always kind of having my my nose in a book and reading like other perspectives. Definitely books from either specifically about interior design or from other creatives and entrepreneurs like the book In the Company of Women by Grace Bonney, who's the founder of Design, design Sponge, is an amazing read. Who is a Black woman entrepreneur who inspires you and why? Oh, um... I feel like that's probably a rather long list. I would say it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, there are women, female entrepreneurs that are close to me who I talk to on a regular basis that I find to be hugely inspiring just on what they're doing and the hustle that they have. Like Kimberly Brown of Manifest Yourself, Nikki Cole, oh, Nikki Cole Hartman of Oh, Nikki Occasions, um, Clea Gibson of The Party Muse, like the the daily hustle and the daily grind and our conversations definitely um, inspire me. And then you have people that like we've 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 kind of all heard of, and like you listen to their stories, like Miley um, Teal, and kind of like all the sacrifices she made in the beginning. And she's always just real, and I respect that about her. She's just like, this is my journey. If you don't like it, so what? Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I listened to Oprah has her Super Soul podcast and she did something with um, Shonda Rhimes that I listened to that I think was from a few months back. And I didn't know much about her outside of, you know, what I watch on TV, but I was so inspired by her transparency. Like, yeah, I'm really successful yeah, I have my kids, but yeah, there are moments where I just didn't feel like I was good enough. And that's how she started, you know, her year of yes. So there's just so many women. I think sometimes some people get caught up in what they see the end result is, but Mm. the end result doesn't mean anything. It's really the journey and how they got there because we're all going to be this work in process. Amen. Speaking of work in progress, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Oh my God, that OCD planner in me has saved me so many times. To be an entrepreneur, you are everything. You're marketing, you're legal, you're accounting, every gamut possible. So to be able to try to manage all those things and to manage my projects and to manage just my own self-care, but Lord knows sometimes I struggle with, has definitely, definitely saved me. Like I literally live my life out of an app. Like if it's not in the app, 
I won't be there. So <laughs> those types of things. There was even, he'll probably kill me for even sharing the story, but my boyfriend has said to me a few months back, like, take our dates out of the app. Like, <laughs> why? Like genuinely, like, why would I, why would I do that? He was like, because I don't want to be in your app. I need to be in your mind. And I was like, if someone says that to you, like, what can you say besides okay? So I was like, did he just check me? Or he just checked me. So I, I took our dates out of the app because, you know, it was the more respectable thing to do. Oh, romantic. <laughs> Wait, what is this app? Are you talking about, like, a calendar app? Yes. Oh, girl, to do. Um, oh. The number two D.O. It's literally how I've lived and managed my life for like, God, probably like the last seven or eight years I've been using this app. And it just I put everything in there. Um, helps me manage my projects. That's where I list everything if I need everything. And like touching my fingers, especially if I'm like out shopping for a client and I need measurements and things, I'll quickly reference my app and I put everything in there possible. Okay. So it's called To Do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. Because you were holding out on us. I was like, what is this app? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's like it's like an extension of me at this at, at this point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll link to that. So finally, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Um, stack your savings before you go out on your own. Make sure you have a plan of action. Every, every, and I mean a detailed plan of action. It shouldn't look like, you know, in five years... Or in two years, um, I'm going to quit corporate and I'm going to work for myself. Okay, but what does that look like? Like, how many how many months of expenses do you need to have saved? What's your revenue plan going to look, look like? Who's your demographic? Are you going to have a business plan together? Are you trying to open a brick and mortar? Is it a service? What's your potential revenue for that first year? Like, all those things should be planned out before you do anything else because money is important oh yes <laughs> amen say like, that again <laughs> like, you're going to have to you're going to have to pay your bills and entrepreneurship when you're not getting a steady paycheck your income per month kind of looks like a crazy wave like a hurricane just hit the ocean so you want to just be able to ride those waves out but you're going to need to budget your money very, very strongly. You're going to have to do a lot of planning. And that's my thing. It's so important that every business owner has at least a rough idea of what a financial statement looks like, like how they know that they're actually being profitable. Right. So what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? I am everywhere um, at Beth Diana Smith because there are so many Beth Smith. I use my full government name. Um, so at Beth Diana Smith on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and my namesake is also my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being in the guest chair today. Thank you for having me. This was great. Indeed. And there you have it. This episode was brought to you by FreshBooks. For your free, unrestricted 30-day trial of FreshBooks, visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co 
forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.